So I was with my husband, my first husband, and we walk into the a restaurant in Yosemite, and the whole room stops. Everybody turns and they look at us, and one half of the room looks hostile, the other half just curious. It was because he was African American and I am white. In the 80s, I was married again, this time to a white man. We went on a motorcycle ride and ended up in Yosemite, walked in the same restaurant. The only person who looked up was the host to seat us. And I was flabbergasted at how astonished I felt that there, it was so different being married to somebody white than it was being married to somebody black. And it broke my heart. We're going to hear more from Shirley. And Shirley, tell us your full name and the name of your book that you're speaking about. And this story that you just shared with us, that gave you the inspiration to write this book, correct? Correct. I'm Shirley Ann Blair Keller. I wrote a book called But What About the Children? Diversity is Life, a memoir. Uh, it is the question my grandfather asked my mother when she was about to marry my African-American stepfather. All right, if you don't care about yourself, what about the children? We're going to talk to Shirley a little bit more about that. We're going to take a little break. And stay tuned. I'm excited. We're going to talk about her art as well. And I mean, Shirley, her and I were talking before this podcast. We talked a lot, a lot about diversity and racism. And this is just going to be a, a great episode. If you have the book, pull the book out because we're going to talk about the cover art. But what about the children? And Shirley, before we continue this podcast, please let people know where they can find this book and where they can purchase this book. It is on Amazon in paperback and Kindle, so you can find it there. It's also at Arts Visalia and the Historic Museum in Three Rivers and Exeter Bookstore in Exeter. Okay, oh, there's a lot of places we can purchase them. So Arts Visalia is right here um, near the Arts Consortium. Mm-hmm off of Oak Street. Mm-hmm. So um, do you ever go out for First Fridays? So if anyone wants to probably get this book autographed by you? Um, I, yes, occasionally I come down the hill for a First Friday. And I am planning to come First Friday, June. I'm going to go to the Spiritual Awareness Center. I think they call it Center for Spiritual Living. Uh they have a gallery called Brandon Mitchell Gallery. I have my ink quilts hanging there, and I'll bring some books. And if anybody has a book and they want it signed, that would be a good evening to do it. Okay. Five to eight o'clock at night. Five to eight, and that's the first Friday, right? That's the first, first Friday, Friday in June. First Friday in June, everyone. Okay, so that's when if you want to meet uh, Shirley in person. But we're going to continue this episode, so stay tuned. So pull your book out, but what about the children? So Shirley, 
Explain to me about the cover of the book. I see there's different photos of children and explain to me about the photo in particular on top with the little girl, right? You said with the white hat. Is that the one that you said had tantrum problems? Uh, the girl with the white hat is her daughter. Okay. She is now a grown woman with two children, a great husband, fabulous work. But when she was three, she was a tantrumer at least 24 tantrums a day. And at one moment, uh, I was trying to con get her to stop, and I had this feeling, if I just took her head and smashed her against the wall, that would fix this. But I knew that wasn't possible. So I went out and found a friend, and I said, guess what I just wanted to do? And she said, did you do it? No. Good. She gave me a book called Positive Reinforcement, and I spent the whole night reading, and the next day, I made a plan how we could use positive reinforcement to help her stop her tantruming. It took a year, 36 people had to be trained, including her parents, uh, logs were kept, we counted every tantrum, but at the end of the year, she was no longer a child who tantrum. Like I say, she's now this successful woman I'm very, very proud to call Daughter of the Heart. Wow. So, and why do you call her Daughter of the Heart? Well, you know, we family comes in many forms. Um, blood, by marriage, by adoption, adding siblings that are birth steps, halves, and relationships of the heart. And my family is very much a demonstration of that. Mm -hmm. And I like the stories that you tell. Um, I was actually taken aback by the story where you said that when you lived in San Diego and your sons, they went to segregated schools. San Diego was extremely segregated when we moved there in the 60s by housing. Uh, it was a unspoken law. Not by law, but it was unspoken that um, uh, white people lived in one neighborhood and black people lived in another. And we kept trying to find housing that was near the college that my husband was going to, near the work where we had, but they happened to be in white neighborhoods. And people said, no, no, no. And until the Rumford... Fair Housing Act became law of California uh, and made it a crime to, to uh, turn people down because of race, religion, etc. Um, we had trouble finding housing. Uh, my older son, he was six at the time, we, he, we had the choice of either all black school, uh, where he'd be the only mixed kid in the school, or all white schools where he'd be the only person of color. And uh, so that's what our life was like in San Diego. And if you turn to page 226, you can see a photo of Shirley, John John, Buddy, and Richie Jones, San Diego, 1967. Where'd you take that picture at? Uh, we went to a professional photographer, and this is a silly little detail, but the photographer was totally flustered because I'm white 
and Buddy is dark, and our kids are medium brown with a little milk and sugar thrown in, I guess. And the guy didn't know how to set his cameras to include all of us. For the lighting? For the lighting. And it took him so long. He said he'd never had that problem before in his photography uh, career. Oh, my goodness. And as a photographer, I mean, that's like... I mean, I take pictures of everyone different colors. I've never had that issue. But it's because the cameras have been fixed. If because you went to a professional photographer, we went to a professional oh. photographer. You'd never had to fix the light to go. I don't know how to explain it yeah, technically, yeah, yeah. but technically Disposure. he had to do all kinds of manner of things to make it work so that he, you could see all of our faces equally. Wow. So you can look at that picture on two twenty six. That's an interesting story. Now, if you turn to one twenty, page one twenty, slavery, slavery ink quilt now you made this and i want you to to talk about the dream you had about this quilt so um i started in about 1989 started writing journals every single morning i was uh, alone i ha- had my husband had died i had no money i had enough to eat and pay the rent but i had no entertainment money so i bought a cheap pen with black ink a composition book and began a process of writing morning pages i was so entertained that i rushed home at night ate a quick dinner went to sleep as soon as possible to wake up at four to write um one night i had a dream and the dream was seeing a quilt on a wall of a museum. When I went up close, I saw it was not made of cloth, but more like collages of photos and art, each patch in white wood frames and were illustrations of the stories I had been writing. The next day I began to make what I call ink quilts. Instead of quilting with thread, I quilted with ink. The ink quilts are in my book in black and white, and they are hanging in color at the Center for Spiritual Living, the Brandon Mitchell Gallery today. Okay, Okay. and we'll get that address for you in the next segment. We'll make sure to give the address out. Um, These quilts, though, it's amazing. What do you suggest to someone if they want to do something like this, create the kind of quilt I see a lot of photos and uh, quilt patterns, actually, right? So where do you get this? Do you print them at your home, or do you go into magazines? When I did this, uh, I didn't have a printer. I had a pen and a journal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I went to what I heard. They uh, This store had a big copier. Uh, uh, I think it was uh, Xerox, mm-hmm. and they were able to do color. Mm. And so I took these ink quilts, which were 11 by 17 pieces of paper, since I'd never done art before, I was afraid to do them small, so I did them big, and I made the ink quilt, and I took them to this person at the copy place, and said, I really want eight by 10 on glossy paper, photo paper. That's really what I'm trying, because I want to make, a a quilt out of this, Mm -hmm. patches of a quilt. And so this person shrunk them and made them into the ink quilts that that are hanging uh, at Brandon Mitchell. Wow, 
and um, so I took the individual pictures yeah. and put them in the book because I began to realize each one is an illustration of the chapter that it is attached to. I love that. I really do love that. Um, on page one twenty, it actually says, "I was was here. I was five the day slavery ended. I remember that day. Who said that?" Grandma Wilcox was the grandmother of my first husband. And when I was 18, uh, I heard she didn't like the idea that I was dating her grandson because I'm white. And I thought, I think I'll go meet her. Maybe if we met in person, she wouldn't feel that way. And so I walked over to her house and she came out of the house. She was about four feet tall, little <laughs> tiny, weasened old woman. She was in her late 90s at that point. Uh, she lived till she was about 104, I think. Um, anyway, I introduced myself, and she looked straight up at me and said exactly what Jessica just said. I was five the day sl slavery ended. I remember the day. I was, like, shocked. It never... I, I never physically felt the impact when I heard about slavery, which I had, I knew a lot about. Mm -hmm. My stepfather was black. He told us stories. Instead of fairy tales, he told us stories about African-American history. So I knew a lot. But here this small woman was in front of me. She was somebody's property. They could do whatever they wanted to her. They could beat her. They could sell her. They could do whatever they wanted to her. And it impacted me heavily. And the next day I started making that. Or the next, the, after I wrote that story, the next day I, I made this thing quilt. Wow, that quilt. And it says right here, it says, this is page 121. Good afternoon, Mrs. Wilcox. I'm Shirley, I said. I'm dating your grandson, Buddy. I thought I'd drop by and introduce myself. She squinted. The sun bothered her eyes. I'm out for my walk, she stated in a strong voice that surprised me because she was so old. May I join you, I asked. She looked me over. <laughs> she looked you over, so she checked you out. She's like, who's this white girl, right? <laughs> Come on, she said. No smile, but since she didn't send me packing, I took it as a good sign. We walked along in silence for a few minutes. How did you come to live in Riverside, I asked. I was born into slavery, Mrs. Wilcox announced. I was age five the day slavery ended. I remember the day. Wow. So I love these stories. Um, they really are honest and true. I'm turning to page uh, 232. And this is something interesting you talked to, talked about with me. Can you explain to me um, about, and correct me if I say this wrong, Synanon, you said? Yes. I lived in Synanon uh, uh 20 years, and six years before that, I was a volunteer. Can you explain Synanon to people if they're listening to this? What is Synanon? Everyone's going to Google it, and this is how you spell it. S-Y-N-A-N-O-N. Um, Synanon was the granddaddy of rehabilitation communities. It was the first. It was where drug addicts and ex-alcoholics went to rehab themselves and my husband and I uh, volunteered there mostly me because he was playing football going to school and working full-time mm -hmm. 
Um, but mostly me, and they started a school, and I would go and I'd volunteer and help and bring my kids too. So uh, it was an interracial community, which is what attracted me the most. Mm-hmm. Interracial community. So back then they had communities that were safe. Uh, right here it said a sanctuary from racism, uh, page 233. A sanctuary from racism. So you guys would go there and nobody would judge you, look at you differently. And Chuck and Betty, can you tell me their last name? Diedrich. Okay. Uh, Chuck was the founder of Synanon and Betty Diedrich was his wife. She was, uh, he was an ex-alcoholic. She used drugs, prostituted, was jailed, uh, came to Synanon to fix her own life. Uh, They met and they got married. Mm -hmm. And um, she was a remarkable woman, uh, helped get the school started. And when we moved in, we got hired they said, number one, they really wanted another interracial couple in Synanon who seemed happy with each other. And number two, we were really good with kids and they wanted good, strong adults in the school. Mm-hmm. And you said that there's still people here in Visalia that were a part of that. They're good people today, so they're involved with the community? Yes. Uh, the last Synanon facility was up in in and around Badger, up in the hills. And when it closed, um, most of us ended up down here in Visalia. And um, there there were Synanon facilities all over the country, so there's ex-Synanon people who live all over the country too, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. not just here. So if you really wanna listen um, to, to Shirley talk about this, do you ever give book talks or anything? Can we see you in town? Um, first Friday in June, I will be at the Brandon Mitchell Gallery because, like I said, mm-hmm. they have my ink quilts there, and I'll bring some books. And we'll, it's not scheduled uh, formally, mm-hmm. so informally, I'll bring some books, and you can buy them there from me. They're $16. Okay. And I'll sign any books if people have them and want to bring them in. On first Saturday in Three Rivers, which is an art event, uh, artists are all over the town, Um, my studio will be open and I will have books and art uh, that you can look at. Uh, My address is 43641. Skyline Drive, and I will have maps to give out so you can find the other artists all around Three Rivers that day. Oh, that sounds so fun. So people should allot like two hours to go to all the spots, right? Well, you could take a whole day if you stop for lunch, and then don't forget, Rhymers has the best ice cream <laughs> yes. and candy, mm-hmm. so you could you could spend a day okay. in, on first Saturday in Three Rivers uh, enjoying art of all kinds. And the date again is May? Uh, it's June 1st. Oh, June 1st. Okay, so June 1st. So put that in your calendar, June 1st. You can meet Shirley. You can purchase a book, have her sign it, have her read you an excerpt from the book. I mean... I actually, got to be honest here, you you made me tear up and hearing your stories just really inspired me today. So thank you, Shirley, for that. Um, We're going to end this segment.
and we're going to come back and talk about how you can start your your own journey of writing your own book. If you're interested in writing your own book, keep listening. And we're also going to talk to you a little bit more about Tasty Arts and what does that have to do with Shirley. I was journaling for uh, a while, um, a year, two years, three years, I'm not exactly sure. And I began to explore art forms, um, photography, clay monoprinting, black ink drawings. But the art form I've fallen in love with uh, in the last couple of years is exploring dot art mixed with recycling old things and turning them into art pieces. And one of my favorite canvases are hubcaps found in the street. And I have friends and family who actually find them on the streets of say like Los Angeles, put them in a box and mail them to me. And I clean them up and then I paint them with brush or toothpicks. Toothpicks are the smallest I do. Yeah. And those are hubcaps. So I actually um, will post a photo onto my Instagram so you can see what her artwork looks like. Very interesting. And we actually, um, my fiance owns a business, Emmanuel's Automotive. So it's nice that she actually met him and she said, hey, you know what? I do art with hubcaps. So if there's any automotive business here in Visalia and they want some art for their shop, Shirley's the person to go to. You can see her artwork at First Saturday in Three Rivers. Uh, like she said, go get some ice cream from Reimers. Now, that leads me to you. You seem like you know what to do with your passions. You get your passions and you have a direction for yourself. You say, I'm going to do this with myself. I'm going to you know, start my studio. I'm going to sell my art. How did you say to yourself that you were going to write a book? Because... I feel like there's a lot of people out there who want to write a book. They want to write about something, their struggles or life, their experience, and put it out there. But for my, myself, I can write newspaper articles. I can talk to people, asking questions, and you know, have fun with that. But when it comes to me and writing about my own personal experiences, I kind of like, oof, I don't know about that. I don't know. That's too personal to share. How did you overcome that hump of sharing your personal stories? Well, the morning pages that I wrote every day, stories emerged out of it. And uh, I can't say I made a conscious decision. I didn't. I just, the only decision I made is I'm going to show up every day with pen, with journal, and I wrote every single day. The book idea came after I had maybe half of these stories written. I began to see they seemed to fit. So I started typing them in the computer and then I could see the book. I really could see it then. Um, About a year and a half ago, I went to Tulare King's Writers Group here in Visalia at the library. They meet the second Saturday of the month. And they asked me, why I came and I told him I had this book in the back of my mind. I tried to get published, but traditional publishers would not accept my book. And they told me about Amazon Kindle Direct Publishing, a self-publishing way to get your book online and uh, you can do it in paperback or Kindle. 
And so I started looking into it and realized this really is something I can do. And so I did it. <laughs> yeah. So you didn't like go online to watch YouTube videos or... No, no. I, did, I did not. I On how I, to write books. Because people go online, YouTube, right. how to write a book. And then they watch a YouTube well, video. Well, I downloaded... Uh, uh, Kindle Direct Publishing used to be something called Create Space. I downloaded that. As soon as I read it, uh, they no longer existed. They combined with Amazon to turn into this new publishing house. So then I read online what they requested and I said, you know, I think I can do this if I just do what they tell me, but I'm not very good at writing directions. I wasn't very confident that I could do it. So I made friends with two of the writers in this group who coached me, who encouraged me. What did they tell you? They told me, first of all, they took my book and they read it in manuscript form and uh, they were going to charge me. One did charge me for editing. The other one called me up and said, I'm not charging you because this book must be published. I want it done. So I am going to do this for you as a favor. She did it. Um, I put the book together. Uh, I put it online myself. Uh, they give you away my stepdaughter, uh, who is pictured on the cover of the book, mm -hmm. uh, a young woman, quite beautiful, with long black hair. You'll see her. Is she Native American? Or? She is. Her, her mother came uh, at, from El Salvador. Okay. Um, uh, she got pregnant by the coyote that brought her across the border. Uh, he disappeared, and uh, she couldn't keep the child. Lucky us, because my present husband and his ex-wife adopted her, and she's uh, a grown woman now, mm -hmm. an artist herself. She loves making jewelry. And um, so she knows computer graphics and how to make books, and so she helped me. I did the cover yeah. picture itself, and she helped me design the cover and put it on oh, wow. Kindle. Such a family affair, this Yes, book. absolutely. So you can see her. She's on the cover of the book. She has dark hair, very beautiful uh, cover. I love the pictures on here. Now explain to me. I want to end the podcast on a positive note. I know we talked a lot about you know issues that people don't talk about every day. Talk about how you said that um, it's really helped you to see the positive that someone can be racist and can change because it's happened to you, right? Yes. One time in my life, a um, young man came home from Vietnam, uh, got drunk that night and was threatening to come down and he used the word lynching, scared my babysitter so badly, she called and warned us. He never did show up, but of course, we were scared and up every night, making property runs, afraid. I even learned how to shoot a gun, just in case. And this is just you living at home, like the, someone just came up to you and said, someone's gonna lynch your husband. Like, right. Wow. Uh, so we were frightened. About a month or two later, I 
realized that I thought it'd be fun to raise rabbits with my children um, for food and give them a chance to have a pet and take care of, etc. Where were you living at the time? In uh, in El- outside of El Cajon on a, a Hamul Road, which was the stagecoach road from San Diego to okay. Mexico okay. in the good old days. And we lived in a house that was built in 1898. So it was a little tiny cot house, cabin, and more who, like. And who helped you to get these rabbits? Back to that story okay. with the rabbits. So I go down the road. I see a young man taking care of rabbits in a backyard. I go there with my three-year-old son on my hip. I introduce myself. We talk for a while. He ends up putting two rabbits in a cage and food and a book and dishes uh, for their food and drink and brings it to my house, sets up my children. As he's getting ready to leave, I say to him, you know, I haven't seen you around. I've been here a year. How come I haven't seen you? He says, oh, I just got back from Vietnam about a month ago. And I thought, oh no, it can't be. I called my babysitter later that day. I said, is it the same person? She said, yes. So I learned a lesson. Whenever I run into bigotry of any kind or hate of any kind, I take a deep breath before I act because you never know when it will turn into love and generosity. And so that was my lesson. Thank you, Shirley. And that's a great lesson for our listeners to hear. I know every day someone struggles with something different. Sometimes someone doesn't want to speak up about the racism or bigotry that they do experience and fear of backlash or uh, being made fun of. So it's nice to see that you spoke up for a lot of people. Um, How do you think this relates to today's world, this book? But what about the children? Well, I, my husband and I talk about this all the time, the timing that I, when I finally got around to actually pushing the button to push, publish this book. We're, right now, we're very divided. Uh, there is a lot of hate talk going on, very public. Um, a lot of nasty things are said to, to different people who might have a different point of view. And... I think my book tells the story of how you can have struggles, you can have terrible things happen to you, violent things happen. Uh, But when I read my book cover to cover, when I got the proof copy, I realized, my God, my family managed to survive all of this because of love. And it will combat just about anything Mm -hmm. and I hope other people will see that when they read the book so so Shirley but what about the children (laughs) can you answer that yes Uh, my grandfather asked that question and I have to say to him uh, the children have been very lucky to have lived a very diverse unique life and uh, we can be role models for how it can be accomplished in our country. And on the back it says, trying to stop her from marrying a black man, Shirley's grandfather asked his daughter, if you do not care about yourself, that's one thing, but what about the children? So make sure that you talk to Shirley 
and meet her. Like we discussed in the podcast, she's going to be at different um, spots in Tillery County, Three Rivers, her studio um, here in Visalia, Buckman Mitchell, you said again? But, uh, uh, oh, the name just, the Center for Spiritual Living on Asequia and Locus. Okay. And it'll be from 5 to 8 on First Friday, May 31st. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to, to probably see you out there because I'm going to go out for, you know, First Friday. I love First Friday. Okay. What's your favorite part about First Friday? Uh, I don't get to come down here very often. I guess my favorite one was last month. I did do a book reading oh. at, at the uh, Beckman Mitchell Gallery. Okay. And uh, my favorite part was reading uh, to an a child who I thought was eight or nine or ten turns out she was six, oh, wow. and uh, so I read a part of my book about an owl incident that we had out on our place, and uh, she was an enthusiastic oh. listener with questions, and I think that was the best part. Yeah, I like book talks. I like it. so maybe we can have a host a pop up book talk with Shirley. <laughs> She'll just pop up somewhere and start talking about her book and selling them. So if you're if you have a business in Visalia and would like to welcome Shirley to your restaurant or coffee shop, it'd be really nice to have you read these stories out loud for others to hear from your words. Thank you so much, Shirley, for your time, for your courage, for your commitment to this book. You did everything for this book. You, you said that it took you almost thirty years. You said mm-hmm. yes, and I have one thing to add. Uh, People complain a lot about our younger generation, but meeting people like you, Jessica, makes me very hopeful for our future. And I say that over and over to my old friends, that we're really lucky in this next generation. Yes, we are. Thank you so much, Shirley, for that positive feedback. So excited to to see more books from you. Are you planning on writing some more books? I don't know. Oh. <laughs> well, next time, hey, if you do decide to write a book and you're going to publish it, you come to Visalia's podcast and we'll tell everyone about it. All right, Shirley. So, again, can you um, give out your contact info if people do want to call you or email you? Uh, my email is sblairkeller at sbcglobal.net and... Um, my address for my studio is 43641 Skyline Drive in Three Rivers. And if you want to call to make sure you can find my place, I'm at 559-561-3463. This is Emmanuel from Emmanuel's Automotive. Thank you for listening to Visalia's podcast. And remember, for all your automotive needs, visit us at Emmanuel's Automotive. You can reach us at 559-409-2133. Thank you. Shirley brought up a topic that many parents do not talk about daily, and that is child abuse. So if you feel like you're at a point in your life that sometimes things can get out of hand for yourself and you don't know who to turn to, you can actually call 1-800-662-HELP. 
1-800-662-4357. This is a phone number for Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. You can find more information at samhsa.gov. You don't need insurance to receive help. And it's just a national helpline that is free, confidential, 24-7, 365 day-a-year treatment referral and information service provided in English and Spanish for individuals and families facing mental or substance use abuse. So call 1-800-662-4357-HELP. And please know that there is this national helpline because there's people out there that do face mental or substance use disorders. And this service helps provide referrals to local treatment facilities. And I mean, that's the only way you're going to be able to receive help by asking others for help. So again, please give them a call 1-800-662-HELP and the TTY for um, those who are hard of hearing. It's one 800 487 4889.